From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed PowerCash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello, friends, and welcome to The View from Laura's Window, a podcast where life is explored through positive Christian thoughts. And when I say window, I'm referring to the view or perspective of life in how we think, act, and react. Everyone has a window, and yes, every window has a different view. Sometimes our view may not always be clear, and sometimes it may not always be focused. But I hope through this podcast and a positive Christian mindset, you will have a much better perspective. So open up those windows, your hearts, and your thoughts to the encouraging view from Laura's perspective. Welcome to Tuesday. Today is Tuesday all day long. And yes, it is Tuesday's talk day. Is it Tuesday's talks? Tuesday's talk? Tuesday talks? Tuesday's talks? Whichever it is, I'll figure it out. Anyway, it is a place where we can get up close and personal with each other in a no-judgment zone and talk about all the stuff, the stuff that hinders our view as well as ways to clear the view for a more focused perspective. Our guests will share their encouraging stories, thoughts, and ideas for us as the listener to resonate with. And yes, faith-based conversations are encouraged because a life with faith is a life with purpose. So let's get on with a more clear perspective. Welcome back, and I do not want to delay any longer in bringing on today's guest, Dr. Michelle Bankson. She is an international speaker and the author of three best-selling award-winning books, Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression, Hope Prevails, Bible Studies, and Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace God Promises. She has been a neuropsychologist in private practice for more than 20 years where she evaluated, diagnosed, and treated children and adults with a variety of medical and mental disorders. 
This doctor knows pain and despair firsthand and combines her professional expertise and personal experience with her faith to address her patients' issues, both for those who suffer and those who care for them. Using sound, practical tools, she affirms worth and encourages faith. Dr. Bankson offers as a key to unlock joy and relief, even in the middle of the storm. She and her husband of 30 years have two young adult sons and reside in Greenville, South Carolina. She blogs regularly on the um, show, the award-winning podcast, Your Hope Field Perspective with Dr. Michelle Bankson. And you can find that on all of your uh, podcast shows. Um, and uh, I would suggest go to Apple podcast you'll find it there and um, she also um, is on all the various websites you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube Twitter and uh, she has a blog and a website drmichellebankson.com so I want to bring her on right now we're going to talk about her story, her struggle with depression as well as a more open view of what depression really is and how to cope. So here we go. Let's see. Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Good. How are you doing, Dr. Michelle? I'm awesome. I'm so happy to be in your presence today. Well, I am so glad that you um, accepted the invite to come on. It It means a lot to me, mainly because... Uh, you have a lot of topics that recently have interested me, especially depression. And I know that's pretty uh, popular right now. A lot of people seem to, you know, with everything that's going on, a lot of people seem to be going through a lot of downs in depression. And I thought maybe you could uh, talk a little bit about that. I'm glad that you're bringing up this topic because I think that the more that we talk about it, the more we'll chip away at the stigma that so many people are struggling with. Depression is so common. Before this whole pandemic arised, you know, depression was our greatest epidemic worldwide. And I think it still is. So we need to be having open and honest and frank conversations about it so people don't feel so alone. I agree. Um, I love the way in your book, which is is called Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression. So, you know, I've had it said or heard before, why do Christians go through depression? They know Christ. Well, I could ask you the same thing, and I think we can talk about that later. Even doctors go through depression. Um, but I love the way you introduce yourself in the beginning of your book. You say you're a certified neuropsychologist with lots of degrees in the alphabet soup following your name. <laughs> I appreciate your humor and your humbleness, but I know there's much more to you than that. Can you like share a few things that make you uniquely you? Uh, you know, I'm a wife of 33 years and I'm a mom to two young adult males. And I've always known that I was supposed to be a writer. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. But, you know, to be honest, Laura, nobody wants to be the poster child for depression. And so in all honesty, I didn't want to write a book 
from a personal experience of depression. I wanted to write it as the doctor. But what the Lord showed me is that nobody's immune, not the doctor, not Christians. And I'm thankful that so many times in the Bible, he gives us glimpses of other people who went through depression too, so that we can see depression's really no different than diabetes or heart disease or asthma. Those are all medical conditions and depression is a medical condition as well. And so people don't have shame around asthma or around diabetes or allergies. But for some reason around this mental health field, there seems to be such stigma attached to it. And so having been a neuropsychologist for close to 30 years now, what I want people here is first of all, there's no shame in it and you're not alone. People would be surprised to know how many people struggle with issues like depression and anxiety. One out of four is going to struggle with a clinically significant amount of depression in their life. That's a lot. And in an average family of four, that means at least one out of the family is at risk for struggling with depression. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do hope to talk about that later on. Um, So where are you located? Well, I'm in Dallas, Texas, but the Lord's moving us to Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, really? So how do you feel about that? I'm excited, actually. We went to a suburb of Greenville to help a friend who was a new widow, and it was there when the Lord made it really clear that we were supposed to move. So we're slowly transitioning between the two places, but I'm excited. I love the mountains. I love the water. So we'll be close to both. So, you know, I'm trying to look at it as a new adventure. I don't know why God's moving us, have no idea. But what I've learned is that it's better if we can obey quickly rather than delay our obedience. It's always better. And so we're trying to look at this and take a step in faith. I I like that. Um, You made me smile when I read in the book and you shared this quote. You say that a person needs three things to truly be happy in this world. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. And I've never heard that quote before. So can you tell me um, your thoughts on um, why you shared this quote and what does it say to you? When I think about those three things, they ring really true for me as a neuropsychologist, what I've seen in the patients who have come to receive help for me, but as well as in my own life and those that I know and love. Without love, we all would slip down a slippery slope. I don't think that we can go through life emotionally healthy without both knowing the love of another person and giving it. When we look back to our origin, the fact that God created each of us, he did so because he loved us and wanted a relationship with us. But the world doesn't exist on love alone. We also have to have a purpose. And your purpose might be different than my purpose, but they're both equally valid. And what I've seen is those who feel like they've lost their purpose, that's a slippery slope into depression and despair and discouragement. But that last factor, hope, I think that's crucial because if we don't have something out there to look forward to, something to pin our hope onto, then we live 
from a place of despair. But when we know that we can maintain our hope, then we've got a reason to get up every day. And when you put those three factors together, a purpose, someone to love, and something to hope for, that's a a good recipe or a prescription, if you will, to help us get out of a place of despair and depression. You know, when you say purpose, I could have you back on several times just to talk about purpose because last year I went through a very dark time in my life and it, it come about with different reasons. I'm, I'm finding out now, I think, why it happened. Um, I've moved several times. Um, with my husband, which caused me to have different positions at work. And then we would move, then, then I would get a new job and then we would move. And this last move, um, was fairly difficult, but I didn't realize how difficult it was until later. And then my health started, um, going downhill, uh, especially the thyroid. And then other factors came into it. And then all of a sudden, I was depressed, and I had no idea what I was going through. Never been there before. So um, now that I feel like I'm doing better, I'm still struggling with that purpose. I'm at a new point in my life where I could bring you back on, and we could talk about purpose all day long. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope I could do that sometime. Um. The topic I want to talk about today is from your book, Hope Prevails. And uh, to be honest, you know, like I said, I've been going through depression and it's a person, it's personally affected me and people around me and my family. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? What is depression? Where does it come from? And what's the difference between sadness and depression? Mm, such good questions, Laura. Depression is categorized as a mood disorder. And by that, we mean that there is a, almost always a change in an individual's mood. But what I think is so important for us to mention is that not everybody who gets depressed experiences it the same way as other people that they know. Typically, I think when we think of someone who's depressed, we think of someone who's crying all the time and maybe can't get out of bed. And that happens to some people. But when we talk about a mood disorder, it's important for us to mention that for some people when they're depressed, they're not crying all the time. In fact, they may not cry at all. But for some, they become really irritable or agitated or frustrated or angry. And so you've got the whole gamut from crying all the time to never crying but yelling all the time. And there are other key factors that we look at those who are sad, it may be due to a circumstance, but sadness is usually time limited. When we look at true depression, that usually goes on for at least a period of two weeks, possibly much more. For some, it lasts years. But what we're looking for is a change in mood and a change in what we call vegetative symptoms. And that really is just a fancy way of saying most people when they're depressed will also experience a change in energy level. A lot of times people lose their energy, they lose their motivation. The things that would normally be so easy for us to do become extremely difficult. 
I remember when I was going through depression and I remember very distinctly going into my bathroom one morning and seeing my vitamins and my toothbrush sitting there. And I looked at them and thought, it's just too much effort. I don't have the energy to do that today. I'll do it tomorrow. And I think back now and I think, wow, I mean, we're talking brushing your teeth and taking vitamins. Takes what, two minutes, maybe? But for me, when I was depressed, that took too much effort, too much energy, and I had no energy left to give. And then a lot of time, people will experience changes in appetite. But again, this can vary for people. Some will overeat and will eat and eat and eat. And then others will have a lack of appetite and they don't feel like eating at all. And the same can happen with sleep. Some people will want to sleep all the time when they're depressed and other people will have insomnia and have difficulty sleeping. But then what we also tend to see is when people are really in the thick of depression, they have a lack of interest in things that they previously enjoyed. You know, whether it's spending time with family or putting puzzles together or arranging flowers, it really doesn't matter. The point is that whatever they previously enjoyed, it just doesn't give them life anymore. They don't have the same motivation or enthusiasm. And then a lot of people, when they're depressed, they also struggle with paying attention and making decisions. You don't have to have all of those signs and symptoms. You may only have three or four. And your three or four may be different than the three or four or five that I have. But it doesn't mean that either person struggles more or less with depression. It's a little bit like if you went to the doctor because you had a stuffy nose and a sore throat. The doctor could tell you you have allergies. Well, I might go to the same doctor and I don't have those symptoms, but I have itchy eyes and a runny nose. And the doctor could say, I have allergies. We both could have the same diagnosis, but it presents totally differently. And I think that's what's important to remember because men will often present different than women and adults will often present different than children but it doesn't make any person's experience any less valid. Wow. You said so many things that <laughs> I can relate to, so many of them. Um, and I'm so thankful that I found your book for two reasons. One, because I know you know what I felt and what I'm feeling to some extent. And two, your words are written after after the depression. So that tells me you can share a little bit of knowledge. Can you share a little bit about your experience with depression and the reasons behind it and what it looked like for you? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Sadly, I grew up in a home with a mother who was depressed the entire time I was growing up. The only thing is, is that at the time, I didn't know that's what she was dealing with. I didn't have a label for it. So in my mind, that's just the way she is, right? Yeah. She struggled significantly and didn't get help until after I moved out of the home. But her mother also struggled with depression and her sister also struggled with depression. So I had a genetic predisposition, if you will. And going back to your earlier question, where does it come from? There's lots of different factors. What we know from research and science is that those who struggle with depression will often tend then to have a higher risk that their children will also struggle. But it's not always because of the genetic contribution. If you think about it, in my case, I was raised by a mother who was depressed the entire time I was growing up. So she raised me with 
a depressive lens. So I learned to look at the world through her depressive eyes. So even if you, even if I'd been adopted and didn't have her genetics as part of my DNA, she modeled depressive behavior for me. But then circumstances can also bring it about. A lot of times people will experience depression after significant life changes, like a death in the family, job loss, moves, a death of a child. There's so many different situations that can contribute to depression. And then there's also the spiritual side of it. And so for me, I grew up with a mother who was depressed. Then after the birth of my first son, about a week after he was born, I started experiencing terrible postpartum depression. It was horrible. And the interesting thing was that I didn't recognize it for what it was. Even being the doctor who diagnosed it in other people. Well, I was going to ask you about that because you said that, you know, you saw it through your mother and her sister. And that didn't even help you to recognize it in yourself. In part because although my mother was depressed, she never cried. And when I had postpartum depression, I cried at the drop of a hat. I mean, I remember a piece of paper gliding across the kitchen counter and falling on the floor. And I just melted into a puddle of tears. It made no sense. That was not a big deal. The baby was fine. The baby wasn't even crying. And so I was crying all the time. So that's why I always make sure that I explain to people that two people can experience depression and it can look totally different. For me, I was crying all the time. I struggled with sleep. And at first, I just attributed the sleep problems to being a new mom, right? The baby was up half the night. And so I was up. So I thought, well, that's why I was tired. Well, I came to realize that hormones were also contributing to it. And so what I found so interesting was that it was my mom actually who helped me figure out what it was that I was dealing with postpartum depression. But most of my friends had had children before I did. I was married 12 years before we had children. And none of my friends had ever previously mentioned going through postpartum depression. And so that led to a lot of shame for me. Because I thought nobody else understands, nobody else goes through this, I'm all alone. Well, those were all lies that I was believing. And it was only after I started being open and sharing my story that other people said, oh, yeah, I went through that. And I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me that? They didn't recognize it when they were going through it either? No, No, they didn't. And, And I was fortunate because my mom called one evening and asked how I was, and I just started bawling. And she said, honey, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. And she said, is the baby okay? I said, yeah, the baby's fine. I don't know what's wrong. And she said, I know what's wrong. I think you're experiencing postpartum depression. Put your husband on the phone. And so I put my husband on the phone and she said, look, Michelle's got postpartum depression. You need to hang up with me, call her doctor and get her some help. And so I'm grateful that my mom was able to recognize it. And I did get help and I got through it and I got over it. And then it was several years later when I was going through a life-threatening illness. And it was interesting because that illness started two weeks to the day after I told God, okay, I'll write this book on depression. But in my mind, I was planning on writing this book as the doctor because I had so many people write to me and send me messages and say, I need your help. But they couldn't come into my office. I mean, I had people from Africa writing to me 
they couldn't come to my office. So I thought, okay, I'll write this book and give them the best advice that I would give if they could come into my office, but they can't. Well, two weeks after I said I would, I would write that book, I became deathly ill and I couldn't be the doctor anymore. I was, had to go through two surgeries. I went from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74 pounds. Oh, wow. I was kept alive on IV hydration and nutrition. I was put on medically induced bed rest for five months. So I couldn't be the doctor. I couldn't be much of a wife or much of a mother. And I remember thinking and praying, Lord, if this is all my life is going to be, I'm not sure I want to continue to live. And I started to go down that deep, dark valley into the pit of depression. And it was horrible, horrible. But at some point I realized, look, this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with depression on top of the medical illness, but you know what to do. You've spent a career helping people go through depression. So I started doing all the things I'd always suggested to my patients. I made sure I was getting enough sleep. I looked at my diet and made sure that I was eating a nutritious diet. When the doctor said it was okay, I very slowly started back to exercise. I went and got therapy. I tried medication. So I did all the things and all the things helped, but they weren't enough to take the depression away. And so I remember crying out to God and saying, look, I can't go back to being that doctor if you don't show me what's missing, because I'm doing everything I always suggest to my patients and it's not enough. So you've got to show me what the missing link is, or I don't want to go back to private practice. And I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it was kind of like this, almost like this whisper in my heart. And I felt like God was saying, if you don't address the spiritual roots of disease, it's like you're putting a bandaid on an infection and hoping it gets well. And Laura, all I can say is it was like the light bulb went off because I realized I had been addressing the physical, I had been addressing the emotional and the mental, but I had not been addressing the spiritual side. And quite honestly, up to that point, I didn't realize there was a spiritual side to depression. So that began the journey of figuring out, Lord, what do you mean? And, and how does our spiritual life contribute to this? And that's why the subtitle of my book is A Doctor's Journey Through Depression, because the Lord took me through it to teach me, and that changed everything. It not only took the depression away, but it changed how I parented my children. It changed how I was a doctor to my patients. It changed how I helped friends. It was like the blinders were off. And I got freedom that I'd never gotten before. And then I was able to introduce that to others through speaking and writing. Wow. So how long was it like um, you went through the postpartum and then you started doing better and then you went through an illness? What was the time span between those two things? And like, how long ago was it that you went through that illness? How long has it been now? The postpartum depression was about 21 years ago. Okay. And the postpartum depression lasted a couple of years. Oh. And then it was about 14-ish years later 
that I went through the major depressive episode. And that lasted quite a while. That lasted a couple of years because it really was a journey to figure out what is missing because I'm addressing all these other factors. So how do I have to address the spiritual side? And once I started realizing what it was, I still had to do the work. I still had to address the issues. And so it's been seven-ish years now since that. Well, I'm glad you brought up the spiritual side because um, I myself have always considered myself a spiritual person. And I was raised in the church, went to church. My parents took me three times a week, twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday. Yep, me too. I raised my own children that way. Right. And then this depression hit. And then I started going through something that was foreign to me. I started questioning God. I started not wanting to go to church, so to say church worship anymore. Um, it didn't feel right. It felt different. So um, you mentioned in um, your book, verse uh, John 10, verse 10, often. And you use the words steal, kill, and destroy. And can you talk about what this verse means to you and what does it have to do with depression and where is God in all of it? When I was going through that severe bout of major depression, the Lord dropped that verse in my spirit. Now I'd heard that verse before, like you, I was raised in the church. I mean, since I was a baby and we helped plant churches. So I was always there. We were setting up the chairs and everything. And I, I'd been a Christian since I was seven years old. So to be in my middle years and experiencing this, you know, some would say you don't have enough faith. You're not praying enough. You have unconfessed sin in your life. I mean, I heard it all. And the Lord dropped that John 10, 10 in my spirit. And that is that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And so as I was really praying about this and researching this and studying this, I'm like, Lord, what do you mean he comes to steal, kill, and destroy what? And while on the one hand, his whole purpose is to wipe us out, he doesn't want Christians being effective in their call. He doesn't want drawing people to the Lord. I think specifically when it comes to depression, the enemy of our soul comes to steal our joy kill our peace, and destroy our identity. And if he can do that, he's one. And we will go into that slippery slope of depression. But what's so important to remember is that Jesus has already fought this battle for us, before us. And by him defeating the enemy and not falling prey to the consequences of death. But in fact, he rose again. He defeated death. He came to steal the power from the enemy. So it's so important when it comes to talking about depression is from the spiritual aspect, because we've got work to do. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. When Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? And I'm going to be really honest, at the beginning of my career, I remember thinking in my head, Jesus, what a dumb question. I mean, of course he wants to get well. He's 
he's laying by the pool. He's just waiting for someone to push him in. But I can tell you now, after having been in private practice for over 20 years, that Jesus was so smart in asking that question for two reasons. One is because he was basically saying, are you willing to do the work to get well? Because while God can and does heal miraculously for some people, the majority of people actually have to do some work towards their healing. But the second thing is, is that I think Jesus was calling the lame man to recognize that once he became healed, he was no longer going to have the same identity. He wasn't going to be the lame man anymore. He was going to have to work for a living. He was going to have to get a job. And so Jesus was really smart in asking that question. And what I found through private practice is that a lot of people want a quick fix, but they don't really want to have to do the work to get well. And doing the work takes time, takes patience. Sometimes it's painful. But what I found is that when we will partner with God and do the work, the reward will be so much greater. Yes. That was awesome. I love that. I love that answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, could you tell me and others that are listening, what are some of the signs of depression and what are some of the, the symptoms or signs that are sometimes overlooked? always look for some kind of change in mood. It's not necessarily going to be that you'll be crying all the time or not able to get out of bed. With children, we can see behavioral outbursts, tantruming more, being more argumentative. Now, those are not always signs of depression in children, but they can be if the child was not previously an argumentative or um, disobedient child. In a lot of men, we tend to see less tendency to cry and greater tendency to get angry or to get irritable or to work more hours. A lot of people will try to self-medicate their depression and not just through substances like alcohol or drugs. Many people will try to numb the pain by overspending, by overeating, by over shopping, and many will overwork. I was one who, when I was depressed, I was trying to fix it by working more. I'd always had this kind of MO that when things get hard, you just do more. Well, for me, working more was to my detriment because what my body was saying is, you're, you're working us too hard. You need to slow down. You need to rest. You need to take care of yourself. And so what you're really looking for is a change in mood and notice changes in other behaviors like sleep or appetite or energy, even less tendency to want to do things with other people. You know, if you start noticing friends or family members are not returning your text messages or they're making excuses all the time when you ask them to do something, extend grace but recognize this could be a sign and symptom of depression. And it's not necessarily that when you're depressed that you don't want to hear from friends and family. It's that everything seems too hard. Mm -hmm. And so what the suggestion I would give to friends and family is keep trying, keep trying. Offer to do things with your friends and family members. Offer 
to make the call to their doctor. Because like you mentioned, Laura, when, when things started to go awry and your health started to suffer, like with your thyroid, thyroid condition is one of the medical conditions that can bring about signs and symptoms of depression. And not always, but it can be a contributing factor. Vitamin deficiencies can be a contributing factor. Heart problems, diabetes, after a stroke, there are so many medical conditions that can start us down that path into depression. So what I always recommend is go see your medical doctor first. Let's rule out any medical condition that might be bringing about or mimicking signs of depression. And if the medical doctor clears you, that's when you might want to seek help from a mental health professional. But for friends and family who are seeing us go through it, it can be so helpful if you'd say, do you want me to go with you? Because it can be scary to go to a therapist the first time. If you've never done it before, or if you've got this thought in your head that it means that you're less of a person, you're not as strong, or you're not as capable. I mean, the lies just go on and on and on. It can be helpful to have someone's support. Okay. That was very encouraging. Um, we're almost out of time. Could you come back next week and we'll do, a part, do a part two on this? Sure. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I appreciate it. And then we'll talk next week. So Sounds we'll continue great. this. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you were encouraged with this as much as I was with realizing that not only do Christians struggle with depression, but so do doctors. Everybody out there is, they have a chance of going through depression just as much as you or I do. I want to leave with you um, a quote. There is hope even when your brain tells you there isn't. There is hope even when Satan tells you there isn't. I hope you enjoyed part one and I really hope you'll come back next Tuesday on Tuesday's Talk to hear the remaining part two with Dr. Michelle Bankston. And I thank her so much for coming on and I cannot wait to finish this conversation next week. Until then, have a great day and I love you guys.